0: Wine Monk Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett, featuring Ken Calligan of Calligan Vineyards, Todd Bostick of Dusca Mesa's Wineworks, and Mayor James Keenan of Cadicious Cellars and Merkin Vineyards. We're about to start the viticulture workshop. I'd like to introduce the hardest working man in Clarkdale. Oh, so let's go ahead and introduce our workshop to folks. Go ahead. Me? Do you want to go? Oh, okay. Oh.
1: my case. Hi hi hi! I refuse to put my coffee in. <laughs> coffee. Can can I the same but with one? <laughs> <laughs> this is awkward.
2: How's it going? Can you hear us all right? Yeah. You good? Okay. Uh, yesterday we kind of, you know, we weren't really sure what to, what to speak about because most of the people here were, were, uh, were not producers, they're not growers, they're not psalms, or just winos like us, so we didn't want to get anything more too technical just because it's going to go over most people's heads. Um, but we had some good questions near the end uh, that kind of opened us up uh, for some more information for you just as far as broad strokes for Arizona winemaking and grape growing. So what we're going to do today instead of rather... Bradley just chase our tails and talk about ourselves. Uh, we're going to have uh, this gentleman here. Uh, hi. Hi. Uh, he's going to ask us questions and we're going to pretend to know the answers.
3: <laughs>
0: All right. So some of you may know me. Uh, most of you probably don't. Uh, I'm Cody. I write for the, started writing for The Noise. Uh, I run the Arizona Wine Month blog. Uh, I've been really interested in watching the development of Arizona wine over the years before I started writing and then I got roped into writing accidentally and then I turns out that I can actually do a job of it um, while I'm drinking. And drinking and writing are great because I can write about drinking and drink about writing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, wanted to ask you guys some questions about uh, where you think the future of Arizona wine is going, uh, the situation of the Arizona wine industry as it stands now, uh, kind of the, the origin, the genesis of the ABA in this festival, and uh, where do you think uh, Arizona should go and is going? Um, One at a time. Sir. Oh, of course. <laughs> no, you have to answer them all at once. There's number no two pencil in the back.
2: The answer is yes.
0: <laughs> the answer is 42. 43. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, I wanted to ask, uh, what was kind of the genesis and origin in the idea of the ABA? Uh, the alliance. The alliance, specifically.
2: Todd?
1: Take it away sir. It was my idea.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the Arizona Pinaurones Alliance is I think what it's referring to. Um, I think the, uh, the industry is, is grown a lot and it's grown to the point where um, it can support uh, different ideas about where things should go And I think we felt strongly that the foundation of a wine industry in Arizona should be built on fruit grown in Arizona, 100% grown in Arizona and uh, of high quality. And so to uh, help folks make decisions when they're they're shopping for wine, um, we felt that having an organization that vetted wines to make sure they were from Arizona and of a high quality um, would would help folks when, when shopping. So that if, for instance, you were a fan of one of Calgan's wines and you, you saw wine on the shelf that had uh, this symbol um, that you weren't familiar with, you might be more willing to take a chance and, and try that wine, and it's a way to Hopefully, grow and uh, uh, expand folks' knowledge of, of what's out there, and so they, they can enjoy more Arizona wine. Did, did I get that right? Is that the right answer? I don't
0: know. This is, is your organization, not mine. So, yeah.
1: So, yeah. Uh, so,
2: oh, yeah, so uh, if you've had a fantastic Italian wine um, in the last 10 years, to, something that people don't really realize is that you just assume. Uh, the, the the pedigree of Italian wines, Barolos, uh, Bernellos, Barbarescos, that they just, they've just they been around for, for centuries. And that's just not the case. It was considered just Dago Red uh, forever. And it wasn't until about 40 years ago when people like Angelo Gaia started really holding their feet to the fire to be recognized on the world stage. Uh, and now they're competing with some of the prices and some of the productions and some of the scores with some of the best wines in the world. Um, that you know that that happened in our lifetime. That wasn't that long ago. Uh, so, and there was a lot of struggle, a lot of resistance to what they were doing. If you look at some place like Central Otago in New Zealand. Same thing. Those people were told, "Don't plant grapes in this area. Uh, you're wasting your time." Well, that they were wrong. There's fantastic Pinots coming out of out of that area of New Zealand now because of the of the perseverance. But what it took was everybody gathering their information together to really truly. Uh, be analytical about what their processes are. So part of the Alliance's purpose is to gather information, create a database, that's all anonymous information, uh, to start being able to query how does Sarah do in northern Arizona, southern Arizona, southeastern Arizona, just all those little questions you have about pH balance, strengths, weaknesses, because we're going to have people coming to the state. If we're successful with what we've been doing and pouring our lives into all this time, there's going to be people to follow us. We're going to make all of their questions much easier to answer, uh, eliminate a bunch of mistakes that we've made uh, so they can not, not make the same mistakes. That's part of, the, part of the gathering of the information. When you submit a wine with a panel, you're filling out an insane amount of details uh, for each wine that's being gathered uh, information. Eventually, what we're going to be doing is putting together a database uh, hosted by Southwest Wine Center so you can actually act, everybody who's a grower here can access that information. So that's, that's how we're going to go forward.
1: It'll it'll help folks make informed decisions, which a lot of times, especially in an industry like this where uh, it's a lot of private businesses um, having all these trials, uh, you don't necessarily share that information. And so to to get all this information together and help folks getting into the business or help folks that are already there make make informed decisions about what to plant, how to grow it, and, and tie it back to wine quality not to necessarily personal preference. So that when you go into a place, you're not planting the grape that you like the best. You're looking at what has been successful in that area uh, as it's tied to wine quality and, and exploring that. In, in, in Arizona, we've got a ton of really
3: esoteric varieties most people have never heard of, which hopefully will do it if they do well in this panel. They seem still and be an encouragement for folks to try things they've never heard of before that might not actually be the best thing in Arizona. Person.
0: Well, it's kind of the one thing I've noticed with uh, Ionico specifically, is that people are like, what's this? And in the case, they're like, oh, this is good.
1: That's Alionico. I thought it was, oh, okay,
0: Alionico. My
3: bad. Oh, I think there are no any oh, native okay. Italian speakers among us, so we're in good no shit. Okay, good.
1: <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be
3: mean lynched. Well, probably. i see pictures of it.
1: <laughs> I think
3: I saw a
0: picture of Italy once. I can't remember where. It may have been a dream. So on that note, uh, relating to good varietals for good places, bad varietals in certain places, what have you, noti- have you noticed any trends yet in terms of quality coming from specific regions? Like say, uh, you're planning in Wilcox tomorrow, what are you going to be planning? If you're planning in Sanoina tomorrow, what are you going to be planning? If you're planning here in the Verde Valley, what would
1: you be planning? What would you not plan It do not we already insane. have tear yes. yeah. Terrell? Yeah. <coughs> It's interesting, even the short time, relatively short time we've been doing it, our, our, our idea of what we want has changed. And it, it now ties less to the, a variety. When we look for varieties to plant, we're, we're looking at attributes more than we are anything else. So we're looking at, when do, we want a constellation of varieties that can uh, assure success every year, quality wine every year, right? Because we, we all grow in, in fairly extreme climates. And you never know what the weather is going to throw at you, so you need this constellation of uh, things that butt out late, ripen at different times, so that you you have the ability to make a consistently delicious wine every year. And so we, you know, a lot of the characteristics in Arizona that folks seem to be looking for are varieties that bud out late, um, that ripen before or after the monsoon season, that don't rot, that have loose clusters, thick skins, and then uh, things that are prized are uh, varieties that retain acidity. Um, which is, you know, things are, that are difficult to find. And so, looking less at uh, great names that folks are familiar with, and looking, knowing that if you you plant a variety that has these attributes, you'll be able to turn it into something delicious uh, consistently year in year out. Um, and that is, and that is the goal, consistency. Yeah. Because you have to make a living, right? You can't. You can't. Nobody. <laughs> nobody's gonna give you money for your values if you have if your wine sucks. They're not gonna. They're not gonna support that. The wine has to be good um, year in year out. Uh, and so that being said, and, you know, Wilcox, and we've been happy with uh, a new variety to us called Bronitz that buds out late and ripens early, thick skins, um, good acidity, originally from Macedonia and Montenegro. We just planted some in Senoida last week and we're excited about that. Allianica, we're excited about similar characteristics, buds out late, not as late as Um, Bronitz, um ripens later than anything we have with the most acid naturally. Um, and it, those sort of things become super valuable as varieties. Are we boring you yet with this
2: varietal talk? OK, making sure, because, you know, this is <laughs> Sorry, a no, wonderful I, 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 Mother's I, Day. We're supposed to all be having fun not nodding out while the teacher is judging. <laughs> yeah, If yeah, you, you need a, a hammock, just raise your hand, <laughs>
1: you,
0: you guys, also, if you guys are OK, I mean we could open up questions to the audience, too, and, and make it more persistent. I swear I can talk, you'd be surprised, and participatory.
1: I'm there, writing and talking, it's clearly not obvious. you seeing
0: more wine. Yeah, that's true. Uh, no, don't oversell the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, tangent notes, sort of. Uh, what are the best Arizona wines that you have each had? How would they compare to some of the you've had from anywhere else in the world? I'd be interested in hearing your opinion, because you guys are probably drink a lot more than I have. Yeah,
1: we try to. <laughs> I think Ken wants to go first. Ken, Kentuckian. #wine tasting the wines from Arizona, but that you would say are kind of
0: uh, in on the same echelon or nearly nearly to some of the best wines you've had from
3: elsewhere. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, Maynard Stepinac from the Judith Vineyard. The Malvasia, is from several people actually. Sandrockner. Very strong. Yeah. Uh, Maynard stuff. Great Grenache from Pulleyberry um, from Burning Tree last year, two years ago. Todd's, yeah. Todd's stuff from is great. The compo red and white are both just uh, killer bottles that we buy and drink all the time. Sometimes we just trade them. And we actually like the breakfast wine a hell of a lot too. We drink that every morning. It's <laughs> vitamin C. That's very important. More than I should have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all over the place. Actually, it's just uh, stuff from uh, Bodega Pierce as well. But uh, I mean, there are, ton- there are literally probably 40 wines today. So something, I I noticed,
2: about sorry, to, to, something I've noticed. Sorry. Something I've noticed is, of course, there's a perception about the Arizona wines uh, around the world when you're pouring them and when you actually put the name on it. They already have a preconceived notion on it. We just did. We submitted a bunch of wines to the Texom event. This last year where they actually gave us a, our own category and the same wines that I had submitted the year before to the Tech Song actually scored better and had better awards than when we actually let people know that they were specific the Arizona categories. So when they thought they were tasting
1: wines from California they liked them
2: more? Yes they gave, they gave them better scores huh. and we have done the same a Montoccino, so it's the Sangiovese, uh, younger vineyards, less less uh, less time in barrel, and you pour those next to the Sangioveses that we're making in a blind lineup and people get it. When they try to compare them to Brunello, it's that's not fair. Our vineyards aren't that old, yeah. they don't have the same regimen. Uh, that's kind of a that's a mean fight to put us in. But when you put a roasted mozzicino, then it's a much closer fight and in a blind tasting we usually go toe to toe. Uh, um,
0: Side note, uh, a friend of mine came and visited, who was studying in Italy, sent them a bottle of an Arizona San Giovese said, take this to an Italian winemaker, see what they think. Uh, they emailed the winery, this was the Chateau Tumboid from your reader in Cimarron. And he's like, oh, this is one of the best expressions of an American San Giovese I've ever tasted. Yay. So, you know, the Italians think you're doing good, so. And I'm biased, clearly, but they're not. Uh, uh, where do you think the future of Arizona wanting is going? I know this is kind of a long question. And, and what do you think should we be known for? And this was, I uh, was having a conversation with Corey from Burning Tree, who helped with uh, the Gewurztraminer that took up all of the awards. Uh, well, not all of them, but a lot of them at the AWJ at Didn't win Best Red. Say <laughs> 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 uh, But he was telling me like, should this be something that we're known for? Should we be known for something consistently, or should all one-off individual stellar wines in Arizona be noted and lauded? Um, and I think you know he means like, do we focus on everything that's good, or just on certain key things that are good consistently? Um, what do you think specifically? And I know this is the APA is trying to determine consistency, but if something is one-off, one year, well, what's the record for that, so to speak? Um, Sorry, I ramble.
1: Well, yeah, I think one of the, the great things about Arizona is uh, the, place, the place's ability to ripen grapes. We have a unique ability to ripen fruit, and so the state allows for probably a broader range of excellence from varieties than a lot of other spots. So I think that being said, you'll see um, a wide variety of things, and, 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 the, and the regions are are significantly significantly different. And I think that is one of the things that makes them exciting and special. It makes this place exciting and special. Is it it, it it is unique in the world? Um, so that being said, the, the, the weather is also extreme, and there there's going to be iterations of years and weather that make things shine when they wouldn't otherwise. Um, and I think you have to celebrate that. I think that I think that's uh, <laughs> I think that that inconsistency is one of the things that makes it exciting and special. Um, I mean, it's what makes it's, it's why there's vintage dates on bottles. It's because you know you're you're telling the story of the year, ideally and uh and, and and hopefully it tastes good um so it, to answer your question you oh, both oh. Uh,
0: sidebar off of that question is there any areas in arizona that aren't planted yet that you guys think should be planted
3: franzo
0: <laughs> yeah more well, stuff they- over trusted power <clears throat> It's kind of surprised me that Prescott Valley never took out Arizona.
2: Arizona's a pretty region. Well, be the, because there were great to it over there around
1: uh, 1990s. the 1900s. You know, prohibition pulled them all out. Is it? I don't know. Using us as an example, you know, I, when we, and this might answer the first question about wine of, of quality that compares to other places, but the, the wine that made me think that I should not move to California and I should stay in Arizona, I think it was a '97 oh. 71 that I bought at AJ's that Kent made at dos cabezas and i had it in my house in phoenix as the sun was going down and it was this moment where it didn't taste like anything i was familiar with he was 12. i was 12. <laughs> i was
0: 13 so you got a few years to start um, yeah.
1: 13 emotionally he and was precocious <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it's somewhat, it, it, but what struck me is it was as good as anything i'd had from anywhere but it was also different and special and tasted like uh, this place arizona the state that i was born in and grew up in so that made me really excited so but look, it's a a risky endeavor to begin with uh, and then in Arizona it, it becomes riskier and so you, you know what we did is we we sought out land next to the two places we thought the most interesting wines to come from and bought the property as close as we could to those and that's right next to Calligan and Senoida and, and right next to the old Dos Cabezas Vineyard and Wilcox um, that being said there's, there's probably tons of other places but it gets you know it gets riskier as you radiate out from that uh, that known quantity and uh, you're almost starting over yeah so should somebody else should totally take their money and do that you should take your money and do that <laughs> uh, and sell us the fruit uh, then, yeah let me know uh, let me know, if if you know. to help me with that When it works out we'll, we'll buy some of that fruit from you <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's really the, the situation and as as it grows and as, as we get into generations here where you know when i grew up uh, it never occurred to me that this was a viable option as a career but now my kids and my kids schoolmates in our community see this as a viable option and those people will explore um and, and go out and, and find these interesting spots because they'll have grown up in it and seen it and i think um you know it'll it'll continue to grow in the beginning i thought we, we would like see the promised land you know that we would do this and now you realize that uh, we may not make it to the promised land but our kids will um, i think in general you're talking about higher elevation too, a little bit. so we got these now we
3: have later budding varieties that handle spring frost better the stuff that we started with, um, and I think that you know, you'll start seeing more vineyards, hopefully at uh, five, over 5,000, say 5,500 05, feet, um, cooler, a little more refined, not as necessarily as, as large scale. But uh, well, there's a vineyard
0: up near that yeah. uh, I think that may be the highest elevation vineyard in the state that I'm aware of. <coughs> I there are rumor rumors that there's a block of something a block that someone's fighting for a private label up on the top of the river somewhere but uh, that would be 7,000 feet, yeah. but I don't know that much about it, and it seems bananas, but go for it. I mean, I, I wouldn't do it, but Baco Noir, and Young seems like it could be promising, and Vidal is working Why not some of these other super cold weather varietals, but uh, you know, that's, that's, I think, the more Arizona wine I drink, the more interesting it is, because there's so many different options and so many different things that... Uh, it seems like there's something for almost everybody, unless you really like
2: something sweet. I think some, you know, something important to kind of circle back around on you know, our future and what we're doing with, with, with the wines. If we can establish this thing and pass this on to our kids, our grandkids, for them to kind of continue it forward. Something, the reason you talk about wines is because of their sense of place, their expressive place. Uh, and it's, it's, if you're investing in this thing, you have to understand if somebody's planting a 40-acre vineyard next to you, the expense and the time that it takes for that thing to develop and, and work is, is a commitment to your community. And if it goes, it's going to be here for a long time. Uh, and, it's, and again, it's expressing a place. This thing cannot be exported to Mexico as a factory. to be be made in China, made in Mexico this is a thing from your area that is that is a sustainable thing for the next hundred years. So, if you see somebody in your area that's taking these kind of gambles and planting a large block of vines near you and they have a plan and they're gonna stick to it, hug them because they just made your community stronger. Not me, I don't like hugging <laughs>
1: well, I'm gonna bring up cost as a, as a topic, but oftentimes you hear that the wines are expensive. Um, but they, I think they have the value. And if if the stuff is going to be valuable and great, it's going to take even risk beyond the the typical risk of running an agricultural operation. And I think you can ask uh, Kit Calgar what it looks like or what it feels like to be digging a hole in the same time for the fourth, in the same spot for the fourth time to put a vine <laughs> in there. It's really good for your hips. <laughs> to see if that if that's going to work out. I mean that, that that's a sort of. Uh, that's sort of what it takes, right? To, to, make, to make things valuable, special, um, distinctive, and different is that that sort of risk taking and the uh, commi- commitment to the, the, the place. Second to the last question
0: that I have. Um, if you could find one additional grape variety in your vineyard
1: that's not there. <laughs> what would it be and why?
3: Because
1: <laughs> I love it. Uh, I would like, I'd like football. If, I, if we could get our hands on football. They grow it in Udiroquena. Uh, just southeast of Madrid. So they grow at an elevation that's high for them, about 3,800 feet. They get a little warmer than we do and a little cooler than we do. And it's a variety that's resistant to powdery mildew, but it's one of the varieties that's not available in the US as of yet. Um, we, we have worked to bring it in, but haven't been successful. Um, but in that, that being said, that's another challenge, right? Nobody thought of us. They brought in great varieties from California, Washington, Oregon, New York. Um, and so it's really our job to seek out these things that might work better in the Southwest. But. Um, football is yeah. one that I would like to see here. Yeah, Norello has uh, actually now
2: gone through, I think, uh, at D.C. Davis, so we're putting our order in for, for Norello this for this next season. We're we Probably out by, uh, down the uh, lower road on the Elefante block. Okay.
0: And what about you? Well,
3: yes, I mean, Alianico is new to us, but we're grafting plan- we're it into on un- older <laughs> months in our to getting rid of some of things that don't work so well. One of the new ones for us this year is Zorello from uh, Baba Country, very high acid Spanish white um, that I think may well do quite well in Arizona and in our spot.
0: For what it's worth, my answer is it's a tie. Uh, Kerner, which is from Germany, um, that's supposedly really, really frost resistant. Um, Good high acidity, but no one tried planting it in a hotter environment. So
3: we planted it this year. You did. Yeah.
0: My girlfriend will want someone, it's done. Her last name is a letter away from that. Uh, but the one other one that I've been looking at is Agir uh from Greece. Thank you. Thank you. I'm getting cold. Okay. Oh, I know Emil planted some of that last year, too, up in in you know, But uh, supposedly, and I've noticed this too, uh, the higher elevation you are in Greece and you kind of or St. George's grape for those who know Greek and we're going to just call it that from now on. Uh, when you plant St. George's grape, the higher elevation you get, the spicier it gets. And the highest elevation for that grape in Greece where it's planted is 3,000 feet. So what will do at 4,000 feet? It'd be interesting to see. Uh, last question. Do you have any questions that you want to ask me? <laughs>
2: <laughs> what is the airspeed velocity that I'm going to
0: African or European? <laughs>
3: um,
2: <laughs> so, just so you guys know, there's a, there's a wonderful little blind tasting thing happening over here in the tent to uh, your right. This is uh, one for the Verde and the Verde Valley Wine Consortium is putting it on. A uh, little contest, blind tasting, just as an education. No, nothing scary. Uh, you're not going to be, you know, outed if you can't figure out what the grapes are. It's an education process, but I really highly recommend that you go participate and just kind of start your process. If you're not, if you're not already a wine geek, get over there and start, start there. So thank you very much for coming out. Make sure you hit all these booths. Lots to see. Um, happy Mother's Happy Mother's Day.
0: Thank you, gentlemen. Happy thank you birthday, Daniel Wood. Thank you, gentlemen, once again for allowing me the opportunity to address you on stage.
1: Thank you, <laughs> everybody have a great
0: day. Thank you.